0: Talking Dirty of 2024. Happy New Year to you. And we're going to continue our series, looking at all of the wonderful things happening at East Ruston Old Vicarage, that fabulous 32-acre garden on the Norfolk coast where my co-presenter dwells, lucky devil, Alan Edward Herbert-Gray, are happy and very handsome horticulturalist. How are you and how was your Christmas?
1: Oh, Christmas was absolutely fine. Long gone and long forgotten. Thank goodness, because I always think that... Christmas is um, the low point in the year as far as the garden is concerned, because it's really around the time that we have the shortest day. But hey, how are you? Thoughtless Maria Sophia Frederiksen, sitting in Cambridge, basking away with all your lovely houseplants around you.
0: Yes, uh, which is somehow still alive. It's an absolute miracle, actually. Uh, <laughs> while we're on the subject, I mean, it's not looking particularly good because it's been a bit neglected. But my... Um... My Haworthia uh, limifolia variegata, it's having little pups all around the edge. You can see how on it I am. It's still got its old flower stalk that I haven't taken off. Look at that. <laughs> um, i just put that down there. Uh, but, yeah, it's having little, little pups around the edges, which is very exciting. But, uh, yes, they're a little neglected.
1: Well, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens when you look after your houseplants correctly. I've got in my greenhouse um, loads of Ech- Echeveria peacockii, um, the lovely glaucus grey-leaf rosettes, um, went in the other day and looked, and I thought, well, there's lots of dead leaves around the edge. I'll just remove some of those. So I was picking the dead leaves, and the whole rosette came off. And then the side rosettes came off. And I thought, oh-oh, it's Mr Vine Weevil, and sure yeah. enough, it was. So the only thing to do when you get that is really to clean up the wounds as much as possible. If If it happens to anybody, I would just offer them this little piece of advice. Turn your rosette upside down and either cut a slice off the cordex, the, the 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 stalk, if you like. Or if you can't do that, get a cocktail stick and dig around in there because some of those little blighters, the, the little maggots, they will be in there, in the stem, fairly deep sometimes, about half an inch deep. So do make sure you get them all and then just chuck them outside. The, I do this, I just chuck them outside the greenhouse door on the path and watch the robins come and feed on them.
0: I remember my first ever encounter with vine weevil when I was a very new gardener and uh, it was a hookerer and I was so pleased with my hookerer and then I sort of was rifling around and then it just moved like the whole thing. <laughs> it's like a toupee. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always think of that memory whenever anyone mentions vine weevil I'm always transported back to my poor little hookerer
1: You mentioned Christmas. Well, this is what, after my Christmas present, boy, look at that. I'm really, really lucky. I just mentioned as a, so a kind of aside, have you seen Cl- Claverton cloches or is it cloches? Well, you don't say galoches, you say galoches, so let's go with cloches. So I mentioned as an aside one day to Graham, and I said, have you seen close cloches, the things they're making, the lo- replicas of those lovely old Victorian um, garden cloches? And so there on my table sat three of these, this one.
0: Oh, the, octog- the octagonal one.
1: Yeah, three of the latest design, which is oh. absolutely lovely, because I have got three old ones of the original design. And like Vita Sackville West, we put them over clumps of violets in the garden um, just after Christmas to bring the violets forward. And talking of that, I mean, the, you know, there's, we, we, we all like to, I think we probably all like to cheat winter a little bit. I mean, I've got a nice bunch of camellias on my table here. They're going slightly over now, but I picked them last weekend, so they've been in, indoors here, here for a week. And I pick them while they're just showing pink in bud. And then you bring them into a warm room and you watch them open. And you can do the same with things like um, eucalyptus, eucalyptus for scythia branches. Although for branches look very nice with a few gray twigs of eucalyptus poked among them. But if you bring them in just when the buds are starting to swell a little bit, don't try and force them too quickly. Bring them into, if I say a warm room, I don't really mean a warm room that you sit in and feel comfortable with. I mean somewhere about 55 to 60 degrees, if you can, and slowly bring them on. And within a week or two, you'll have all these lovely twigs of forsythia blooming away. You may have noticed, actually, that if you go to a florist at this time of the year, they will sell you very expensively ones of um, And they have been forced in, in this way. So it's it's one of the nice little things to do. When I, was a, when I was a child and we used to prune the apple trees in the winter, we used to bring branches off the apple trees indoors. And the same thing happened, except that, you know, apple blossom is pink and white. Because it had been forced a little bit, it was more white than pink. But it was nice to have it all the same because it's a you know, you really can't beat a fresh flower.
0: It's funny if you're uh, a keen gardener and you love your plants, just saying certain things like you talked about bringing on your violets, you get Mm. that little sort of flutter of excitement at all of the wonderful things that are in store in the garden. I mean, obviously, Mother Nature will probably throw the odd spanner in the works, challenge us, uh, give us some hurdles to leap over. uh, But when you're at this point in the year and there is so much just starting to happen, I, I think I still get that kind of, the excitement you get as a child before Christmas, I suppose.
1: Yes, yes, you do. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's certain plants that the Victoria, our Victorian forebears grew in the greenhouses um, in inhospitable places like underneath the, the staging. I mean, if you've got a collection of ferns, for instance, and you've got an unheated greenhouse, um, you try some of the slightly more tender ferns, like the chain fern. I mean, it grows big, I know, and you need a, need the space. But there are other plants as well. I mean, the Victorians used to grow mind your own business underneath the staging because it held the water and it helped with the humidity. Um, a plant that I grow underneath my staging in the propagating house is a viola, and it's called viola heteracea. It comes from Australia. It's not scented. That's the only drawback. It comes from Australia and underneath the staging, it grows and rumps away and it produces in the winter some lovely little pink, and uh, not pink, purple and white flowers. They're purple in the middle and with a white edge to them. And you can go into the greenhouse and pick yourself a little bunch of these because they just keep producing and producing. But it's not terribly hardy. And so it can, if, if Dame Nature is going to be an absolute and really send us some, some testing weather it can die out in the garden but i mean you know if you leave it in the garden it probably won't flower until mid to late summer but if you if you plant it out i mean i bring four pots always four pots i don't know why <laughs> bring four pots in and it, it gets to about the end of february i divide them into maybe 12 or 20 depending on how much i can get out of each pot and then i use those out somewhere as a, as a bedding plant in shade and they will start blooming midsummer and go right the way through until the autumn. I saw them used at um, at where was it Hyde Hall in uh, Essex. Hyde Hall that used them, and they interplanted them with this one of the brown sedges, the brown grasses, and the small brown grasses, and their violet, violet together. They look stunning, a little bit contrived, I must say, because you know that it was. It was man-made and each each plant was a foot apart, you know, 12 inches apart, um, 60 centimetres, no, 30 centimetres apart. Um, so they looked a little bit contrived. And if you don't like that, I mean, you just rearrange them into a nice wavy line. And don't forget, when you get to the end of your line, leave a three foot gap and then put another plant because it looks so much more natural as if they've just seeded around. If you do that rather than just leave them all together in a clump, because in a clump, they do look contrived.
0: You talked about you know if you need space for something like the the chain fern but um mm. if you if you're listening to or watching this podcast chances are you're already a fern fan because i think they're the sort of plant that maybe lurks as a sort of supporting cast member when you first get into gardening and you're wowed by dahlias or daffodils whatever it might be you want a garden full of roses whatever it is you've seen at a garden and you've thought oh I'd love to have that and I I mean I've met uh, particularly younger gardeners powers of, of social media these days whose entire gardening journey started with just coveting a cafe au lait on instagram seeing yeah. it wanting it going to a florist not being able to buy it having to grow it themselves and then they've ended up being mad keen gardeners based off one beautiful bloom on social media but once you've kind of got through i suppose that stage of your gardening and you know i'm I'm very much still in that stage but you get to love all those other creatures that uh, that make up the full majesty of the garden
1: it's also visiting other gardens that make this happen. Yeah. I mean, the first time I ever saw um, an autumn flowering snowdrop was at Raveningham Hall um, uh, in south of Norwich, um, in south of Norfolk. Um, and I was absolutely amazed because I, it was late autumn and I'd been visiting the hall. And we were looking at, um, in particular, Richard Hobbs, who was the garden um, advisor there, Had he, he has he, he was a very good florist. Um, at some part in his life. And so he has this knack of putting together very, very clever plant combinations. And I went to look at some of these um, and we have been looking at those and in amongst one of his plant combinations was a snowdrop and I couldn't believe it. I thought, what's going on? This is October, November or something and there was a snowdrop. Um, and it was um, later on, um, <coughs> the lady of the house came here for lunch and Lady Susan, um, Lady Susan, and she actually brought me a couple of these Snowdrops, and I've, I have now a very large clump outside my potting shed in a little shady bed. But going back to ferns, I remember going to another snowdrop grower, John Morley, who um, is in Suffolk, and he has the most amazing garden full of snowdrops, of course, all you know, big clumps of separate varieties, which is wonderful because you can only go by invitation. But if you get an invitation, it's something you don't ever say no to, even if you're going to be frozen. And Graham said to me one day, we were there, I've never been so cold in my blasted life. (laughs) But with John, you see, you see these wonderful clumps of snowdrops so you can appreciate their characteristics because one bulb in a pot doesn't tell you that. But a group growing naturally and having grown naturally for a few years, in other words, it's established, it then speaks to you or not. But John also has a very clever Um, thing. He's got this shady area in his garden underneath very old apple trees which are very well pruned and they've got mussy trunks and things like that but he combines his snowdrops with ferns. And so, you see, you've got not deciduous ones, obviously evergreen ones. So you've still got the the leaves on, the fronds are still there to appreciate as well. And then that's when you have the time to look and to see and to appreciate. And you think, oh gosh, look at that. Here we are in January, February, and look what this, it looks fabulous. And so you get into ferns. And going back to Woodwardias, um, <clears throat> which is the chain fern, I have tried for a long time to grow these. I mean, our climate here is not ideal. Uh, we're too dry, the, the soil here is very free draining, not moisture-retentive enough, really. Um, but on the north side, uh, outside my kitchen window, I can't see them because they're close to the house, but you know, I planted three of these and they have this whopping grape frond about four feet long. And at the end of it is a little bulbill and that gradually weighs down until it touches the ground where it, ch- it takes root. And then another fern comes from that. Uh, it, that's how it romps around on the forest floor or the woodland floor. Um, And it it had done that into the path. So we've now got several of these potted up to make another colony in the garden somewhere else. I mean, it's just, it's endlessly fascinating.
0: And it's interesting, the the idea of ferns and snowdrops going hand in hand. I think that's exactly how I got sucked into... Uh, adoration of ferns was wanting them to plant alongside my very small collection of of snowdrops which I'm eagerly mm-hmm. anticipating you know what's going to happen this year and, and what will have done well and what will have sadly disappeared and worrying about whether it's going to be a gift because I feel very frightened about having lost something that's been kindly gifted to me but it, it would be people like Val Bourne um, seeing not in real life sadly but seeing pictures of her combining maidenhair fern and snowdrops and thinking oh yes yeah. I desperately want to to get some of that, but then I mean partly because you were so kind as to have a big order and tell me to go and take one of each, which <laughs> did lead to me not knowing what any of them are because I ran out of labels and I, that thing we are oh sure I'll remember I'll write them on my phone and then it gets lost and so half of them I have no idea what they are, um, but I therefore ended up with ferns that are not tied into snowdrop bedfellows and one of them is it Dryopteris that's um, cristata the king yes i can't remember yeah it's it's a quite a big as the name would suggest quite a big fern and it's now this this absolute sort of backbone it's not huge but it's a, a kind of backbone plant of my little original shade bed I did just off the lawn of my tiny garden so that I could have all these sort of shady spring treasures and primroses and, and the like and um, it's it's wonderful and then the other day in those high winds my gate had obviously got rotten at the bottom and it blew over and it just missed taking <laughs> out the fern. and I looked out and I thought got my beautiful fern which has been looking so fantastic but it just missed it got a bit squished but it's it's still there and that's the kind of fern that I think even if you've only got a small garden it's evergreen it's given you so much bang for your buck and it it's just this great um great kind of compatriot of all the other things that it's growing alongside
1: Well, I was going to. You mentioned wind. That's quite a good good thing to mention because we've had a lot of it. Um, Not the unpleasant kind of wind. Well, it is because it's too strong. Um, But but we've had an awful lot lot of wind in the garden, and I noticed that some of the some of the newly planted plants uh, have got pushed sideways a little bit. And some of the self-sown seedlings. I mean, I'm thinking in particular a butylon vitipolium, which seeds itself around the garden all over the place here. And I I dig up those that I want and I and the rest I and, and move or pot. Um, and, the, and the rest, I mean, the, you know, if they're going in the wrong place, what have they become? They become a weed. So they have to go but one or two that I'd left that was leaning slightly. So I was going around the garden staking and I got myself some stout bamboo canes, some one by one tunnelized timber um, stakes as well. And I started to go around tidying things up and I got about five stakes of each Well, I went back to the potty and I got another 10 of each. Then I went back and got another 10 of each because, you know, you see one thing and and then there's another. Um, Anyway, and I was tying these... Plants up, and I suddenly thought, you know, it's a very element, elemental thing, and I don't mean to sound as if I'm preaching to the converted or being, you know, big-headed or anything. But I wonder how many people know the virtues of of using something called sash cord, and you can buy it on a reel. Um, it's like a giant cotton reel. Um, it's not that cheap. I have to say or it's not that inexpensive because cheap has other connotations. Um, It's not that inexpensive, but it is worth using. And when I tie a a plant to a stake, I make a figure of eight with the sash cord and I make my knot on the other side of the stake. So do a reef knot on the other side of the stake, trim it up, job done. But the great thing about sash cord is that it lasts for a very long time because it's meant to. It's sash windows, you see. The sash windows go up and down. And that's what the cord was used for. So it's very, very strong. Hence the cost. But one little tip is, if you do, um, if you do think that you're going to go and buy some sash cord, do watch out because if you buy a sash cord where the outside has been of the cord has been treated with a silicone, and they do this to make it run easier through the rollers in the sash, cord, sash windows. Um, if you if it's coated with this silicon, it won't hold the knot because the knot slips. And so it won't keep the knot tied, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And you'll end, you'll end up having to do multiple knots, which doesn't look nice. And it's very tiring and very testing of your patience.
0: <laughs> that reminds me of sometimes you buy very nice shoes and they'll come with sort of designer laces, which are impossible to tie. And you have to do a double knot or they come undone while you're walking. That's what reminds
1: me. <laughs> I look, my gardening boots do that. They've got this this they've got this sort of round laces that are obviously siliconed. And they're silicone to stop them rotting, I suppose. So because you, you know, you get them continually wet, but they're continually coming undone, which is infuriating. <laughs> there we are. Um
0: now you mentioned spending a certain amount of money on the garden I haven't had a chance to read it but my other half has I think that's something that gets alluded to in a certain article which people may still be able to lay their hands on I'm not sure by the time this goes out it might not still be on the magazine rats but uh, you're talking
1: about the February edition of the garden
0: a fabulous fabulous looking article sadly I've not had a moment to sit and read it but it's sitting well, there waiting for me
1: I think I'll do a listen with mother and read it to you. Are you sitting comfortably? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing about it is it was, it was, it, it it is a nice article. I mean, I can't say that I wasn't hugely impressed with Clive Nichols, who I've known for many, many years. And Clive Nichols is one of our foremost garden, if not the foremost garden photographer. And you'll see his name occurring in magazines time and time and time again. He's this extremely nice guy. He's very laid back and until you get to know him, you, you sort of wonder, well, is he concentrating or is he really thinking about what he's doing? Well, the photographs in this article, and I've got it here before me, I mean, that is the cover and that is a, a little bit of East Ruston there that you can see that particular photograph has never been taken um, from that angle before. And I, I looked at it and I thought, oh gosh, that looks familiar. Of course it is your fault. It's your gun. You know? <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it was. It, it is a nice article. It just, I mean, I don't like the title of it, 50 Years East Ruston. Oh. <laughs> Somebody said on the radio the other day, yesterday, something was on, I don't even know what it was, but he said, the voice said, Always make the most of what you're doing. Get the most out of it. Because my father said to me, you know, suddenly I was 40. And the next thing I know, time has passed and I'm 80. Yeah. And then you can't really do that much after that age. So make the most of what you're doing. Enjoy it to the best of your ability. There we are.
0: That's true. Well, regardless, well, somehow I think, I my, think, little boy, my little boy's nearly one. How? Yeah, Exactly. So you left us talking about Alexas, I think, Uh, after a brief sojourn, thanks to some technical difficulties which left Alan frozen. We always talk about people being frozen with a funny look on their face. Alan always freezing beautifully. That is why he is our handsome horticulturalist. Uh, But anyway, we've had a a brief break. Um, My dog is now making a bed on the sofa next to me and I somehow look uh, quite disheveled like I've been out in the garden, but I've only been washing up. However... (laughs) <laughs> While we've been paused, Mr. Gray, I did have a, a moment on Instagram, a rare moment these days, and saw a well-timed post, considering what we've been talking about, from Galanthaholic, the very lovely Brian Ellis. Uh, a match made in heaven, he says, a fern and snowdrops. And the fern in question is um, poly polyst- however you want to say it, satiferum, uh, Pulcherimum bevis uh, in the plamosum group, which means feather-like, he says. And you can see this in the shape of the fronds. I'll make sure on the video version that you get to see the actual post in question. It's a lovely a fern. Very elegant fern. And the snowdrop peeking out from below is Lord Kitchener, he says. So exactly the kind of fern-snowdrop combo we were just talking about.
1: Your country needs you. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Surely all
0: holics need Lord Kitchener.
1: Yes, he's a must-have.
0: Uh, and uh, and of course, Brian, I'm assuming will be one of the people at your Snowdrop Day uh, on the 4th of February. I don't
1: know whether he's coming to my Snowdrop Day because no. um, uh, I think okay. in a week I think a week after our Snowdrop Day, he probably will come and sell. I would think, but a week after our Snowdrop Day. Um, Brian Ellis is talking about the Hardy Plant Society's um, conference thing, and they're having, um, from, from about 1.30 in the afternoon, they're coming to the garden here. Alas, that's not open to the general public. It's only open to Hardy Plant Society m- members. Um, but Brian is actually speaking at that event. But the event that he'll be speaking at won't be in the garden here. It'll be at their conference, which is at Stalham High School, um, starting at 8.30 in the morning with the annual General Meeting, and then they're having a sale of snowdrops, and then Brian is talking. But I don't know the timings for that because I haven't been told yet. Um, (laughs) I think they're they're somewhere out there in the ether. I will be told, but I don't know what they are at the moment. Do
0: you have anyone talking at your snowdrop day?
1: We do, and it's somebody nobody's ever heard of. It's the indomitable, the indomitable Mr. Richard Hobbs, botanist extraordinaire. Mm. Um, And as I mentioned already in this podcast, he, you know, he did – and quite a lot of flower arranging um earlier on in his life. And he's an absolute expert at putting shapes, colours, um in the plant world together so that one complements the other.
0: Well, exciting. February the fourth, date for the diary for your snowdrop event. It's always wonderful and the well,
1: chance charms- it's, it's a good event actually and it begins at, it starts at 10 o'clock in the morning and goes on till about four in the afternoon and we have people in so there's you know so there's plenty of teas, coffees, refreshments and there'll be some soup and some hot sort of sausage rolls and things like that for lunch so you know you can sustain yourself and there will be a fire lit in the tea rooms as well oh. because Richard will be giving his talk in the old tea room um, and then the in the our regular tea room there will be a fire lit so It should be relatively comfortable.
0: And, of course, the chance to go and see lots of special varieties of snowdrops forming lovely clumps around your garden. But that isn't the only day that people can go, because if you're lucky enough to be in the vicinity or you can plan a last-minute holiday, you've actually got a few days that you're open so people can come and enjoy not only snowdrops, but all the other treasures out in February.
1: Yes, well, we're open from, from, I think, Wednesday the 7th, Thursday the 8th, Friday the ninth, Saturday the tenth, um, and we will open from. Um, I think we're opening at twelve until four, four or four thirty. No, twelve until four. Um, to come and see the snowdrops, and again refreshments will be available. So if you, you know, if people want to come, they haven't got to worry about bringing a thermos flask. They can sort of bask in a tea room where the fire will be lit, and there will be convivial conversation um, and a few little nibbly bits and some wonderful uh, soup to warm you through.
0: And you mentioned camellias earlier, but uh, again, I mean, if you're if you're a fan of this podcast, then you're already all over the fact that every time of year has its own beautiful plants to enjoy. But but a lot yeah. in flower in your garden right now.
1: Well, terrific amount. I mean, you know, from the the old stalwarts, which is really the winter flowering jasmine, jasmine nudiflorum, um, and I did actually think I was I this is an experiment I'm going to try, and we'll see whether it works or not. Um, if I got two fairly reasonably large containers and I put a, a jasmine nudiflorum and um, some kind of wig of either canes or metal or whatever and trained them um, judiciously, fairly judiciously, you know, and tied them in as they're growing up and everything else, whether they might might make rather nice essentials sort of beside the front door throughout the winter, I just suddenly thought, well, why don't I make more of this, you know? Um, so I'm going to try that and see what happens. But yes, there's a, a huge amount of plants in flower at the moment. I mean, snowdrops and aconites, obviously. Camellias, well, we've had camellias, or should it be camellias? Because it's me isn't it? Which is Mel. We've had camellias out in the garden here since uh, September, late September, with the Sasakua group, which come from Japan. Um, these are, these are, I mean, quite a lot of breeding is going on in the world of camellias at the moment, and they're crossing some of the the sasanquias with the japonicas and with the other various bits and pieces. So, you whereby you used to get just the single flowered sasanquias, you're now getting some with double flowers. And I think we've got one now, you're going to love this name. We've got one on an east facing wall, very sheltered. I see it from my kitchen window, and it's got these sparkly, um, Pink flowers, the semi-double. It's a Sasanqua hybrid, and I think it's called oh, something like Chiffon Dream or something. It's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible name. <laughs> oh, um, But anyway, you know, I, I I almost wish I didn't know those names because when I, I mean, many years ago, when Graham and I um, first extended the garden here, we bought camellias or camellias from a nursery up the road, about seven miles up the road, um, from a chap called Barry Miller. And Barry Miller used to take his um, lorry up to Whiz Beach, and he used to buy plants very at very reasonable cost at the auctions. And I mean, we could have camellias in, I suppose, if I say they're, they're a metre tall, they're quite big plants and they were very reasonably priced and we used to go and buy perhaps 10 a week or something, um, you know, just to fill the garden up a little bit. But of course the one disadvantage is they didn't have any names. Um, and, you know, today, some of them still don't, but they're known as blousy pink, <laughs> um, and so on and so forth. But some we have been able to name. And there's one of my favourites is a lovely little single red one. And it suddenly comes out, it, it starts blooming probably in mid-January, and then just goes whoop, and all of the flowers come out almost at once. Um, and it, it's smothered with these they look like little red butterflies. It's absolutely charming thing. But again, it's a no-name plant, so you know. But it's better what? than Chip on Dream, isn't it?
0: What yes. But what a sight to behold. You you do have um I'm not I've never been the biggest Camellia Camellia person. Um yeah. which I think I I've, Hearing you talk about them and having been to places as a National Trust property down near Minehead called Dunster Castle. And I remember really sort of paying attention to the camellias there and thinking, again, I had no idea which ones they were. They weren't named. It's not that kind of garden necessarily. But thinking, oh, I feel like there could be a camellia period in my future, you know, when I really sort of get stuck into them and get to know which ones I like. But at the moment, I probably could do with a couple in the garden because, of course, they provide interest at this time of year when some of my other plants aren't uh aren't doing their thing well, they provide interest
1: in. every time of the year yeah. you see because they have such lovely foliage it's yeah. dark green it's shiny it's light reflecting it's always cheerful and if you haven't got flowers on it in the summer we're just train a couple of clematis through it or something like that or yeah. your favorite a crema carpa scuba, the chilean wow. glory vine
0: yeah I've, as know. ever Loads of little seedlings of that growing in my house because when I bring plants in and put them on <laughs> windowsills, out that that's how to germinate chilian uh, chilian glory flower is uh, is definitely to just pop it on your windowsill over winter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that m- must get myself the those um, Tresco mix that I always aspire to. Hybrid, yes. It. Yeah, um, actually, I mean that is a flowmo. It has been a flowmo of mine in the past, that for some stupid reason, I never managed to fulfil. All I need to do is buy a seed packet, and yet I never do. It's one of those. Uh, things that sort of looms over you and you forget at all the right moments. But my flomo ties in very nicely with all the things we've been talking about. FLOMO being a fear of missing out you get about a flower or a plant. And uh, mine is a snowdrop. And this is a proper ridiculous Flomo because I will never ever have this. Or maybe in 20 years when it's inevitably high price has reduced to something I could afford. Have you seen one of Joe Sharman's new introductions, Alan?
1: Are you talking about the poculiform double?
0: Yes, I am. This flew past on my Instagram, I don't know, a week ago or something, and I just thought, what is this beauty? And looking through the comments from the Monks, Silver Nursery post on Instagram, just words like, goodness me, fabulous, wowza, wow, gorgeous, super, beautiful, very nice, very special, and a couple which say this snowdrop looks more like a tulip. And I think that's true. If you took that flower of the Galanthus princess benny, as it's called, and had that in isolation, it does look more like a tulip than a snowdrop. It is so fulsome, plumptious, I think would be an appropriate word, Alan. Isn't it yeah. a gorgeous plant?
1: Well, I think it's, it's isn't it the first popular form double?
0: Quite possibly, which has,
1: yes which has a white Center and all the all the petals are equal in length
0: and it's uh, he describes it as his most vigorous and successful of his fully double peculiar forms um and I I'm assuming I mean it will be for sale I imagine and uh, it should be for sale this season he says I'm assuming the price tag will be high so this is not something that I will be putting in my garden and if I had it I'd be terrified of losing it but it is such a beautiful thing that that is a feeling of flomo for sure.
1: Well, I think it's something we can all put on our wish list because, as you quite rightly say, whether we have it this year or in two years' time, it's still something. It's something that's going to be worth. And you just touched on a word there, thought is which I was when during our little break, I went to have a look at Mother Goose, another snowdrop, um, who is notoriously slow to 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 do anything, and she's only just peeping through. She's quite a late one, and um, we have three snouts poking through this year. I went with Ian. Because he he remembered where I planted it. I didn't. (laughs) And whenever you get an unusual snowdrop like that, we always put some in an out-of-the-way place where people won't find them um, for the purpose of bulking them up. And after four years, we have three snouts. Now, that, to me, is not a vigorous snowdrop. And you just mentioned the word Princess Benny, vigorous. Mm. And I was looking through Avon Bulb's catalogue at snowdrops the other day, and... The word vigorous counts because the word vigorous means that it's possibly increases, that one increases faster than the majority. So there's lots of snowdrops that look wonderful when you see them in specialist garden and everything else, Um, but they're not necessarily vigorous. And to the gardener, I think, we want them to have a certain amount of vigor so that we can look forward to them increasing year by year, not like mother goose. I mean, after four years, three snouts. (laughs)
0: Well, it's exciting to see them clump up and they look completely different when they're a clump rather than this poor one or two flowers together. And of course, there is the possibility that you'll be able to share them uh, with your friends and swap them and and all the fun that comes with being a bit of a crazy glypholic. And a huge thank you to Dean. I've mentioned it before, but he did send me some very special snowdrops when it turned out that Fiola was born on his birthday. So uh, thank you, Fiola. That was very kind of you. Uh, I, I, you know, I, th- that was a day that I don't necessarily want to remember in great detail, but I'm glad that you were born at two in the morning on the 16th and not on the 15th. After all, even if that would have shortened my experience, that that earned me some wonderful snowdrops. So thank you, thank you very much, Fiola, and thank you to, to Dean. To Fingers crossed they'll be making a reappearance in the raised bed where I keep all my most special uh, snowdrops, which seemed like a good idea to keep them separate. But of course, watering a raised bed through dry months is quite stressful. So uh, they do have to go through some quite trying conditions sometimes. And I just hope that they don't mind that.
1: Well, I think this is what happens, isn't it? Because, you know, we do forget to water things. Somebody very kindly gave me a potted azalea over Christmas and I put it in the study and I didn't go into the study for probably 10 days or something. And because it, 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 I hope they're not listening to this, it had dried to a crisp. Because one of the things that potted uh, azaleas like is to be continually moist. And of course, they do, they don't like tap water because it's got, um, too, it's too alkaline. So they, yeah. you really need to have um, a water butt. Um, to to water them with. You talked about your Flomo being Princess Benny, Galanthus Princess Benny, which is something I'm looking forward to actually uh, seeing and possibly owning. Um, I should make inquiries. (laughs) Um, My um, Flomo is a tender rose. And it's a rose that you often see growing on the continent. And it's a big blousy pink rose. And um, it's possible to flower it under glass in, in February. Under cold glass if the if the if the greenhouse is sheltered enough. And it's a variety called La Foilette. La Foilette. F-O-L-L-E-T-E. And I've just been looking on the internet and couldn't find it anywhere. So it's one it's it's a rose that I would love to have to grow in the Pelly House. Um oh, lovely. Just because, you know, it's just it only flowers once. That's the drawback. So once it's flowered, it, you know, you have a month probably of flowers, maybe five weeks, and then it's gone for the year. But you know, it's a bit like seasonal fruit I mean it's so much better to have strawberries in the summer than it is in in February um January even and so that's my I'd like to find the rose called La Follette but whether I ever shall it doesn't who knows it doesn't really matter whether I do or not because there's so many other plants that I get joy from but it just occurred to me that that would be nice because you could pick you know two or three and it has it's, it's got quite a nice tea scent to it too. Mm. So, you know, if you just have it on the table when you're having your breakfast in the morning, it's just a lovely sort of um well it transports january into another meaning doesn't it really yeah.
0: what a treat to have on the darker months uh, though of mm. course nights drawing out we can all start to get very excited about what the year mm. has in store and this podcast fingers crossed uh carrying on uh week in week out with all kinds of planty chat so thank you for for joining us long may the adventure continue and uh we will see you hopefully next week but until then happy gardening
1: Happy gardening, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, Hey,
0: Fordyce here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.